just sort of stand around going, oh, well, you're a dullard, aren't you? Yes, and in many ways also, you're the worst thing that's ever happened to the planet. Yes. And <laughs> right there. Yeah. Like, what? This guy is essentially a character from the Real Housewives of whichever, you know, part with Real Housewives of London. Basically, he's warned by Trotty Oak, you know, they're out for you already, they're going to arrest you. Yes! So, Fight the power, Trotty! <laughs> Fight the powers that be! Hello, and Merry Christmas from... Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. We started this podcast originally with It's Christmas Time, There's No Need to Be Afraid, Dave. But then we just couldn't introduce ourselves, so I had to start again. (laughs) So I'd like to interrogate this. At at what point is Christmas Time a reason for being afraid? Are you still in a sort of wasp factory, one day at Horrorland kind of mindset here, where you're just like, are there reasons to be scared? Probably. There's no reasons to be scared. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no horror fiction here. <laughs> not, not my words, Dave. The, the words of the boys over at Band Aid. So let let them <laughs> let them explain themselves. Uh, <laughs> I, we both know we'll be waiting a long time for that to occur, don't we? <laughs> So it's of course this meandering little chart must have made it clear to you that it's time once again for the Shark Live Royal Christmas special. Um, a couple of years ago, we did a Charles Dickens book. We did the classic, A Christmas Carol. Last year, slightly less of a classic. We did the Hound of the Baskervilles, which is come on, tenuously linked to Christmas. Basically, this Sherlock Holmes out at Christmas sometimes. <laughs> so, so we're right back on the Christmas wagon this time. Um, and this is going to be another one from the series of books that Charles Dickens did around Christmas. And it's called, it's a short story called The Chimes, um, or to give it its long, full title, The Chimes, a goblin story of some bells that rang the old year out and the new year in. So at this point, Matt, I just want to call us up on something, because what you said to me was, why don't we do Charles Dickens? And I was like, all right, cool, Christmas, Charles Dickens. Mm. We've already done a Christmas carol, but, I, you mm. know, we'll do something. Let's do the chimes, you said. Yeah. And I was like, sweet, nice one, good. Just as long as there's none of that, no more of that goblin nonsense from last time. <laughs> what happens, Matt, when I open this ebook up? What happens the first when I get the subtitle as well as the title title? A goblin story... More goblins. I'm not saying I disliked the goblins who stole a sexton, but it was a bit, you know, I just don't think goblins when I think Christmas. I mean, is that weird of me? He loves the goblin, um, does does Charles Dickens. (laughs) Dickens. So I've heard. Yeah. So yeah, he's back on. He's back with the goblins for this. Um, I was hoping that the Goblin King getting it done would show up. Oh, um, you, you'd love it, wouldn't you? You'd love it if the Goblin King turned up and go. I see you've you've all shagged this right up once again. Is it <laughs> Goblin time? It's Goblin time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to break this down into into sort of two parts the way we're going to do it so we're going to do the book is actually rather helpfully broken down into four quarters so we're going to do the first quarter and the second quarter today and then we'll do you a third quarter and fourth quarter as little festive treats for next week can't say fairer than that so this was so this was written in 1844 by charles dickens of course (laughs) 
Hence the name on the title, <laughs> on the front of the book. It wasn't written by Charles Dickens. Funny story, it was written by John Grisham. Um, and there's a little, I think it's the second in, um, in five books he wrote, like for Christmas. Um, so he, he decided, I mean, because Christmas Carol was so successful, he thought, you know what, I'm going to get on this bandwagon every year. <laughs> he did a Christmas book for the next five years. Um, but the others aren't as famous as the, as the original, obviously. That's true. He was gutted, wasn't he? Christmas Carol was such a like a runaway success. And what I imagine happening is the Christmas Carol happened and he made a boatload of cash off of it. And then he just because, you know, we all know he was a bit of a lad. So he's just gone off on some epic six month bender and come back and gone, oh, I'm broke. I better write another one. Oh, they'll just they'll lap it up. I'll just something, something, something else. Christmas, something, something, something. Sell it. This one has not generated royalties to the same extent. I'm bound to say. Yeah, yeah. So he thought it's time to push the money button again. Well, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because not many other people seem to have jumped on this bandwagon because we've we've discussed this ourselves off air. It's very hard to find Christmas yeah. books, like good yeah. Christmas books. Yeah. Well, I mean, or any Christmas books, really. I mean, it's this, or John Grisham's Surviving Christmas, which I think we can all swear a solemn oath now that we're <laughs> never going to touch. Right? We will never speak of that book again. We will never speak of that book, because, because I ended up watching, not of my own free will, 20 minutes of that film once. They made a film out of it. It is awful. Let me tell you, it's Charles Dickens or nothing for Christmas. <laughs> well, let's go for Charles Dickens, then. So The Chimes... Uh, it's it was it was quite a um, quite quite a funny backstory to exactly how he came up with it. Apparently, he was on holiday in Genoa and heard these bells ringing, and just from that decided, oh, you know what? Perhaps I can get goblins into this, and he he did. <laughs> so um, so it split. We say split into four quarters. The first quarter, so it sort of laid out very clearly. First quarter. Um, and he starts off by this, this sort of rambling discussion about how not many people would want to sleep in a church. Um, he does this really great description of like what it, a church is like at, at night when no one's around, like an old, windy, creaky church, and he yeah. describes the wind whipping around it and how it's not a particularly welcoming place in the middle of the night, um, especially if you're sort of standing outside in the graveyard and it's all a bit creepy. Um, yeah. I quite liked this start, but it's, it was atmospheric and um, it felt a bit sort of, you know, Christmas Carol style. Um, this is going to be almost like a Christmas ghost story rather than sort of yeah. nice warm round the fire, uh, jolly Christmas tale. Yeah, and obviously you're all over that because a ghost story is like is 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 a, the best Christmas gift you can receive. Oh yeah, as soon as soon as he starts off with the sort of vaguely ghost story feeling theme, I'm like, I'm listening. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I am picking up what you're throwing down, Charlie. That's what's <laughs> happening. So then we we meet Toby Veck, who is the uh, sort of the protagonist, the star of the show. He's a ticket porter. Um, which basically means he like does he sort of waits around in the street and does odd jobs for for the, for the like upper classes or just for anyone who needs a needs a porter yeah really yeah um, he's called Trotty because he trots everywhere um, he's an imaginative nickname he's um he's like this old man who's sort of just always trotting like he's either, he's either trotting on the spot to keep warm or re- he, he reminded me a bit of a like an NPC in a video game to be honest <laughs> like, I'd imagine you'd find this guy in Legend of Zelda or something like that well you're just stuck on a piece of a piece of uh, landscape just in the background going just jerking back and forth like do I should I 
We're like, and then when you click talk to talk to the character, the whole game crashes. That's it. That's the that's what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he's he's been reading the papers, and he's a bit sort of downhearted on the human race at the moment because he's seen all this bad stuff going on, and he's wondering if, in fact, we're inherently sort of not up to much as a as a species, and. Uh, yeah, it's not 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 the cheeriest thoughts to be having over Christmas, but he is naturally inclined. It seems to be quite cheerful, normally. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? That he he writes this character who's actually, or like, touchingly, almost beautifully, really sort of naive, or like not naive, but like um, uh, optimistic, like you say. But then, um, but then has him just thinking on, well, world's a bit shit, isn't it? <laughs> and, and I have to say. This is one, but by no means the last occasion in this book where I was like, when was this written? 1844. Yeah, it felt a touch contemporary for all that we're talking about, a social order that hasn't existed for 170 years. There was a bit of me that was like, you know, this is a bit close to home. Uh, Like reading the news and being like, oh, well, that's a bit fucking depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I wonder if it's because this is sort of uh, the first sort of great leap forward in mass media around this time, isn't it? Where oh, yeah. um, sort of basically everyone can afford cheaply printed. Um, well, not not so much everyone can afford the printing press. Obviously, is a long way before, but it's it's mm. you got sort of your literacy rate is just sort of touching yeah. sort of a mass yeah. market, if you like now, um, yeah. and suddenly sort of nowadays we're sort of making that another sort of leap forward with the amount of information that's accessible to everybody because of the internet maybe there's a maybe there's a parallel there um yeah yeah and i i think you are onto something there like i i I, yeah it's it's dead interesting that that there would be some i was really i didn't there was a piece of me that didn't feel like it was reading a period piece here like mm. i was more like oh (laughs) well i'll tell you something that always cheers cheers uh, Toby up, is uh, the chimes. These are, so he always stands outside this church and there are these bells that ring and he always finds them very comforting. He says, um, um, he hears them every day. The, the, the chimes are very often in his ears, very often in his thoughts, but always in his good opinion. Um, he, hey. He's a big fan of them <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. Dickens, Dickens loves a, a compound sentence, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, so he's... Um, He's standing there in the cold, waiting for a job. Nothing's turning up. Um, he's just check. He touches his nose to check it's still there because it's that cold. <laughs> uh, and he seems to do it without any sense of irony as well, doesn't he? Like he doesn't very in that sense very un-English of him not to be like, just check my nose. Oh bollocks, it's still there. You know he doesn't do that. He's like, I'd honestly better check to see whether I still have a nose on my face. And he just yeah. All the way up to the top, there it is. Yep, yeah, all the way down. Good o, good o. <laughs> yeah, like, lovely. And <laughs> um, just as he's doing that, um, he gets a visit from Meg, his daughter, uh, who turns up, and uh, she's got some food in a hamper. Dave, it's delicious smelling. It's uh, it's warm. It's gonna be. And she sort of she sort of teases him. She's like, "Can you guess what it is?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know." And he finally gets. He kind of gets it. It's tripe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought until we got to the word tripe, 
in this little bit. I was like, have we skipped straight to the go and tell him to buy the biggest goose in the shop bit from um, from A Christmas Carol? Is, it, is all the good news happening first? But no, no, tripe, apparently. Yeah. I mean, the comfort tripe is, is what you're hoping for. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite, I suppose, it's quite illustrative of the time and, um, and how poor... The, the, these uh, these yeah, characters yeah. are. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder if it's only tripe because some of the stuff that goes down, especially in the third and fourth quarter of this book, I wonder what else <laughs> this stuff's laced with, which is having. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it, so he gets tripe. tripe is a street name, Matt, for a number of very powerful hallucinogens. <laughs> yeah, and the reason um, Meg's in such a great mood is because her um, her let's say up to now boyfriend. Is um is, is has he proposed or he's about to propose or they've discussed they've discussed the prospect of marriage? So I suppose you could say fiance. It's about this stage. Um, no, I and, think they're engaged. No, no, because she turns up and says, "Hello, Dad. Um, he, he's pretty great, and I know we're poor, but uh, we're getting married tomorrow." Yeah. So fiance. Doesn't she? Yeah. 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 Right. Fiance. I think that'll fly. Yeah. So all sweetness and light and all joy. Uh, and just in, in the nick of time, just as everything seems okay, um, three gentlemen emerge, and uh, and here we go. Here, here comes in case the you were... smack talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. In case you were worried that this story seemed to be proceeding on far too happy a click, here come the British upper middle class, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, spraying joy in their wake, as you would expect. Yeah. So it's three gentlemen emerge. One of them is this sort of old chap who doesn't really say much apart from just to bank, just to keep talking about the good old times. The good old times, the good, and lamenting the fact that I assume we're no longer in the good old times. Again, some things yeah. never change to the day. There are always people like that. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the good old days. The good old days. <sighs> I'll tell you the thing that's most striking about that, and actually this whole section with this abs- like super fatted bunch of complete fucking twats talking down to people is that they see they just don't seem to worry about saying really stupid shit in front of the people they're insulting yeah right in front of them instead of you know going to the private members club for cigars or whatever it is that one does i don't know yeah. You know, instead of doing that, they just sort of stand around going, oh, well, you're a dullard, aren't you? Yes, and in many ways also, you're the worst thing that's ever happened to the planet. Yes, and of course, I would agree completely that you're a moral failure on every conceivable level. <laughs> <laughs> right there! Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a certain amount of contempt in the way they even um, couch what they say, which is contemptible anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's him, there's this other guy who, what's he called? Is it Filer? And I think he's um, he's almost sort of like, he's almost like a, a Malthusian character. He just, he uses statistics, he just uses statistics all the yeah. time just to talk down like everybody and yeah. like especially sort of the masses who he thinks are utterly useless. And he, he quotes some figures to, to make um, to make Trotty feel bad about eating tripe, saying that it it's um, he's literally taking the, the food out of the mouths of other people because for some reason it's not the most... Is it? It's not the most effective and efficient process of making food tripe, so he has a go at him for that for a start. 
Um, yeah. And it, carries, it carries on with these. Every every so often, he just pops up in this conversation. I think a bit later on, he he's one of the people who has a go about marriage, saying, "Oh, can you believe it? They're, they're even thinking about getting married. These two. Statistically, this is a really stupid idea because blah blah blah." blah. <laughs> it is. It's that, isn't it? It's the sort of crap that you usually get from a character in a book written in the sort of late fifties, early sixties, from somebody who's way into Stalinism. You know, yeah. science has proven through numbers. He actually even says at one point, "I can prove." this with tables <laughs> which is which is a, just a slip of the dictionary away from saying i'm right because reasons yeah yeah it's exactly what he's doing honestly but just laying forth all of this there are numbers and those are the only inarguable things <laughs> i won't ever apply them to myself but you of course are an awful human being because of numbers goodbye <laughs> yeah but the the leader of the pack um the the chief uh you know, upper middle class arsehole is um, Alderman Cute, and this guy um, is—I mean—he's—he's he's brilliantly written. He's just absolutely insufferable. He just goes on and on and on about putting stuff down. Is basically anything to do with the lower classes um, that he—you know—he can sort of pick out. He—he's he, made it. He's got it within himself to put it down. And um, he, he actually he warns uh, Meg against getting married because he basically says something along the lines of, "If you get married, your husband will leave you, and then I'll 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 have to put that down, and then you'll have a load of kids, and they'll be like little sort of scraggly, uh, shoeless." run around urchins and I'll be putting them down and then you'll be you'll be sort of wandering the streets trying to get food and I've made it my business to put that kind of thing down <laughs> so it's basically all the reasons that she and her kids and her family will probably end up in jail because he doesn't like her he's just met the girl the poor thing yeah and he's just no I but I think what he's done here is he's just decided that it's like that it's possible to make massive social change just by victimising people who are having a bad time. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. It's, and it's, it's breathtaking, isn't it? Because there, So there are two things that this reminds me of. The first is, have you seen 30 Rock? Uh, I've seen a bit of it, yeah. Right, so there's, there's a couple of episodes of that. It's really great. Like one character who's the kind of, um, the, like the wife of the superstars on this kind of TV show, in the, in the TV show, um, uh, decides she wants her own reality TV show, and they do a couple of episodes, which is just episodes of a reality TV show, starring these people. Right, and and it's it's exactly like this. She just walks around, just spraying her catchphrase left and right. It's like <sighs> you need to put it down. Like that's nothing. That's not the catchphrase. But this guy is essentially a character from the Real Housewives of whichever you know, part with Real Housewives of London or whatever <laughs> it is. Is what that is like, and it is exactly as laughable and as awful as you think it is. And I actually thought it was even worse than that for a second there because um, the only time I ever hear anybody use the phrase "put something down" now is with like like pets that are on the way out or that have some horrible illness and yeah. are going to be are going to be put to sleep. You say you put them down. Hmm. It's, so I was just for a second I was like, is he? Is, is he shooting the poor? <laughs> like, has this guy just decided that the cure to social ills is to kill everybody that actually does the work? Yeah. Because that's, that's bleak for Charles Dickens. Even for Charles Dickens, that is pretty bleak. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise because they, you do you get the clear impression that they genuinely see um, these people as uh, like a, 
barely human or at least a very sort of inferior version of humanity to what you know um their social yeah. class is um and it's yeah. the it's the clearest um and well sort of drawn example i i've read of that kind of idea of of, yeah. of, 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 of sort of people from one class looking completely down in complete contempt on the uh, on another class just basically saying as you say applying with a massive broad brush and just saying all these people are basically useless they're nothing but sort of difficulty causing you know scratching around in the dirt um, contemptible barely humans and we're just yeah. going to have to put we're just having to put it with them and if if they could only just sort of trying you know keep themselves themselves a bit more and not breed as much and not have as many kids and be as like loud and just look as dirty and horrible you know why can't they all clean themselves up and just yeah. you know work even harder for us and it's what? yeah it, the whole thing is just it really got under my skin so i really enjoyed yeah. like feeling that sort of righteous anger riser like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i I was definitely, I was not expecting when I came to this book and our apparently light-hearted Christmas episode <laughs> to be, like, getting political. But honestly, there was a piece of me where I was, like, kind of, how much has changed here? But, like, this is fascinating to me now because these days, you know, like, you hear these arguments that are dressed up slightly more in terms of, oh, well, you know, you know, poor people are like this, or they do this, or they waste this, or whatever it is. And it's all kind of dressed up in the language of utilitarianism. It's really interesting to me to rewind 170 years and find people saying basically the same thing, just with less, just, with less, with less apparent uh, kind of reasoning wrapped around it. You know what I mean? Where they're just like, well, I'm never going to have to interact with one of these poor bastards, am I? Is there fuck them all? You know, <laughs> which is, you know, that's a mindset that persists. It's just that these days people have got better at coming up with fake facts wrapped around it to, to justify it. Anyway, I just mm. like it was it really it absolutely really got my blood going. Really did. Yeah. Um, the, the the way that they they spoke. So basically, as we touched on, one of the things that these um that these men are saying is that they find out that Meg and Richard are to be married and they think that is um, almost laughably stupid um, because why would anyone of that social status get married? It's a complete waste of time. Um, why would they do anything that's pleasant? Complete waste of time. Um, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, well, you're enjoying yourself, but you're poor, so you're not allowed <laughs> to enjoy yourself. Enjoying yourself is fundamentally for people who are rich. Uh, if you're poor, then you don't enjoy yourself. There's the point of being poor, you poor, poor people. Yeah. You know, like, I, oh, fuck. Honestly, that, Matt, it really wound me up. <laughs> yeah, and the worst thing is it works because Richard and Meg wander away totally, like, depressed now and insulted and upset. And, I'm um, surprised. Yeah. And to- Toby is um, is equally like d- down and depressed. He gets given this letter to take to um, to another uh, upper class gentleman. We'll, we'll meet shortly, and he listens to the chimes ringing out, and even they don't cheer him up. He he hears them now chiming as if they're saying the good old times and put them down, and everything's just. I mean, things were weren't great for him originally, but he had this sunny outlook. Apart from the sort of the wider um, idea about is everybody really that good? In, personally, he was quite cheery, and by the end yeah. of this chapter, he's um, he's pretty down. Yeah, yeah. So cheers, guys, for that. Yeah, top work, lads. What yeah. a bunch of knobheads. 
<laughs> so we move into the, the second quarter, um, and this is the, the delivery of the letter from Alderman Cute. Um, so as... Alderman Cute. By the way, do you imagine that that guy was just... The reason he's such a monumental arsehead is that he got the shit kicked out of him at school for being called anything cute. <laughs> and he's just, like, he's just trying to get back. He's just trying to, like, visit some of that pain back on the world. Yeah. He was the hot crumpet... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hot crumpet burning my cheeks with shame. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> That's a Blackadder reference, in case you're wondering. Um, yeah, if, the, if you haven't seen it, why? <laughs> as, as he makes his way through the, the, the town or the city um, to deliver this letter, Trotty, um, we get this nice sort of background description of sort of the the end of one year and the start of another. And I quite like um, this description of the, the new year as the infant heir and uh, the yeah. old, year, old year sort of slowly dying now in, in its sort of final final stages. Again, it's you're right, is when you said before that if you come into this story for the Christmas cheer, um, you, you, you're going to be disappointed because it's quite, in many places, it's really quite bleak, isn't it? Yeah, and I like that. I liked this last time. I liked it with the goblins, the last set of goblins. I liked it with the Christmas Carol, and I like it here as well, is that Charles Dickens, he doesn't know how to write a short sentence to save his life, but he really does know how to be like, look, if if events like Christmas mean anything at all, they mean it for all of us, and that means that we have to be aware of what everybody else is going through at a time like this, not in order to feel guilty. In fact, I really loved the, the presentation of the guy earlier on like saying basically saying to this person who is poor but not absolutely destitute you are starving the absolutely destitute by making sure you have enough food for yourself yeah. i love that presentation of that because that's what how so many people think about what charity is right and um and i kind of love that charles dickens is saying that is the opinion of a blowhard and a dickhead hmm. because what all he's trying to do with here with this book i think is just be like look if Christmas means anything, it means it for all of us. So be aware of that. Engage with the people around you. You know what I mean? Like care about how well they're doing. Yeah. Um, and th that's not about guilt, but that's definitely not about ignoring it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we reach this massive mansion. It's, it turns out it's the home of an MP that's uh, called Sir Joseph. And um, we've got this... So turn up with Toby. He's got this letter to deliver. And... Uh, Sir Joseph's an interesting character. So he's sitting in his big sort of, um, his, I think it's his big study, and he's setting his affairs in order for the end of the year. He's just paying off a few bills. And he describes himself rather grandly as a friend and father to the poor. Um, and the, this guy, in a different way, is equally sort of condescending and contemptible of the poor, but he also is saying he oh you know he helps poor people out as a, as a way of virtue signaling he's 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 saying this <laughs> just to show everybody just how great a guy he is um yeah, whilst yeah, at the yeah. same time there's absolutely no genuine compassion or substance to it from what i can read out of it yeah yeah and and again doesn't seem to be engaging at all with the reasons why people are poor he's sort of approach to the to to, to the poor if you like is you know, I'll 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 look after you. I'll be charitable enough to sort of keep you from 
dying in a gutter, maybe. Uh, but don't, 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 don't think You will, however, is. die in a poorly insulated, leaky house. Yeah. And that's a guarantee. And he says things like, you know, don't think about anything. I'll think for you. Don't, um, you know, just, just work hard and everything. It's basically, at best, sort of a, you know... He sees himself as some kind of benevolent dictator for the poor, which is hilarious because he's an MP. So but that's interesting, isn't it? Because I bet if you asked him, he'd be like, "Oh no, democracy, mate, democracy. Yeah, you know, mother of parliaments. I'm a member of that mm. august body. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I'm a real mover and shaker." And then he's doing something that's not a million miles removed from the sort of feudal idea of kingship. Yeah, you know, don't ever question me, but I'll make sure you have some bread if I remember. Yeah. That's what he's doing, basically. Yeah, it's that strange sort of middle um, middle area, this marriage between sort of democracy without universal suffrage. It's sort of, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of, yeah, so you yeah, can't have these right. kind of opinions. Um, so, yeah, the this, this letter is delivered. It's basically... Um, it's from Alderman Cute is, is, talk, is, is writing about this guy called Will Fern, who... Um, Apparently, he's a vagabond. So basically, he, he he's moved. This is sort of an old concept now, but he's moved here from out of town without a job, basically, or just looking for work. And this was seen as like uh, a crime in itself. Uh, so hell. He got arrested Another for Another age, eh? Yeah. My word. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Sir Joseph is urged to make an example of this guy um, and throw him in jail, basically. So that's Alderman Cute's obviously um, very enlightened and uh, kind opinion of what to do. Um, so Sir Joseph looks like uh, he's well up for that. And just before Trotty goes, he, he says to him, "You know, look at me, look me in the eye, young man or man, because he's old, and uh, <laughs> and and tell me, you know, have you got your affairs in order?" Um, as this new year comes around, and Trotty's like, "Well, I owe a few shillings to um, to this th- this shopkeeper because you know I'm de- I was desperate for food, and I'm a little bit behind on the rent because it's things are really difficult." And this just uh, Sir Joseph's reaction is one of like quiet fury. It's like, "Oh, you useless human being!" <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, yeah. but and again, doesn't ask why he's poor. Nah, fuck all of that. All you yeah. need to do if somebody's doing something that you disagree with is yell at them enough and they'll change their ways. And what's amazing to me here is that Trotty does not say, as I believe anybody would in England these days, if you were like, well, how much money do you owe? They'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> like, of course you wouldn't go, well, if it please you, sir, actually, you know, there's a certain amount of money, you're my betters in society. No fucking chance. And quite rightly, like, it's very easy, sometimes, I sometimes feel, it's very easy as an English person to kind of look at your, particularly English culture, and British culture as a whole, I guess, but to look at it and be like, oh, well, you know, nothing's changed, look at all this nonsense, all of this, you know, this still, like, incredibly entrenched uh, and, and often quite damaging class structure and so on and so on and so on. But I'll tell you what, we've made strides forward such that nobody would do anything in response to this question other than tell them to fuck right off. And rightly so, <laughs> Rightly so. Yeah, I mean, f- from from the point of view of Sir Joseph as well, the thing he misses, um, even if you sort of was on board with um, his ideas about, you know, oh, a lot of people don't work hard enough, bloody, bloody, but um, he he wants to, you know, he's like you say, he's very sort of 
um, apologetic about owing this money. And you just expect where he asked, he would try and give an explanation. And it's sort of like, it's not like he's just, he's... I think the the interesting thing is the way um, Sir Joseph and the other three gentlemen earlier on see him is this lazy, um, layabout, um, sort of ignorant uh, fool, and he's you know even even if you were to even if you were to accept this idea that you know he, um, th- there's some kind of guilt attached to being poor which is basically what these people are saying absolutely um, yeah he 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 feels guilty about it and wants to better himself and they they don't even care it's not even about that is it really i think that's quite illustrative deep down it's not even it's not even that stage yeah. of contempt for the poor it's a stage beyond it where they don't even care if you if they're even bothered about the situation they're in which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, actually, I think you're onto something there. Like, just that... Yeah, that kind of thing is what they really want, is a sense of moral superiority. And nobody's mm. going to stop them from having it, because all they, all they, you know, all they do is stand around and talk and look at poor people and tell them why they're failing and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think the classic line from Sir Joseph is that he sort of... He, he looks at... He's, I, think, I think he turns to his, his friend, Mr. Fish... And says, uh, you know, how can how can a man live like that? Like this complete contempt for for poor poor old Trotty. Yeah, but but like he he is living like that, so you can't blame him for the fact that he's still alive or that he's intruded upon your otherwise comfortable existence with the fact that you probably have that existence for reasons that aren't completely to do with your own merit. You mm. know what I mean? Like he's just he's he is living like that. So saying how can somebody live like that? Therefore, it's bad to live like that. Is as much as anything else, a failure of logic on this spectacular. Honestly, mm. fuck all of these rich people, man. <laughs> so so um so Trotty's on his way home. Um, still still down, but he's still trotting. Good, you know, <laughs> good on him. And good, he, good he, old Trotty. Good old Trotty. Trot on, son. <laughs> Trot on. <laughs> And he, uh, he, yeah, the strings are swelling as he's trotting now through the streets. He, he bumps into this. He bumps into this man who's sort of hurrying along with a, a, a small child clasped to him. And it turns mm. out that this is Will Fern, the guy they've been talking about. And he's on his way, looking to clear his name, um, and mm. he's trying to find Alderman Cute. And basically, he's warned by Trotty. Oh, you know, they're out for you already. They're going to arrest you. Yes. So, Fight the power, Trotty. <laughs> Fight the powers that be. <laughs> yeah. So um, Will Fern says, "Oh, you know, I'm not worried about myself, but I'm worried about my about the little girl." And um, in the end, Trotty offers to bring uh, Will Fern home. They bring him back to his house. Uh, they, these this man and the child stay the night. This, so it's this sort of show of charity, which um, obviously it's a bit on the nose. This isn't it. I was by this stage, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's this is, yeah. It's, it's a nice story, but also a little bit cliched. This, you know, the, um, <laughs> the, the the charity of those who have nothing compared to the tight fistedness of those who have everything, which is a very yeah. common theme. But it's it, Christmas, it is. So although we'll it <laughs> you're right also it's 1844 so this might have been original then you never know cliches start somewhere don't they yeah okay yeah, we'll give him that yeah <laughs> I'm feeling charitable I've got that through the court of the shark <laughs> season of goodwill and all that so yeah so so he brings um, he brings Will Fern home um, they, they feed they feed him um, and the little girl 
uh, various things, including bacon, which um, which it, it's really sweet because Trotty's like, oh, I, I really don't like bacon, so I, I don't want to have any anyway. Is his mouth sort of watering <laughs> at the prospect? Um, but obviously he goes without, so he can give some some food to to somebody else. Um, in the end, it's quite it's quite moving because Will Ferrell is is sort of by the end of the night, just almost like trembling with thanks um, and yeah. and shame and a mixture of like all this sort of. It just he's at his absolute bottom of the barrel, isn't he? It's quite interesting comparing him to Trotty, who we thought was a bit down on his look. Well, this guy even more so. Yeah, um, wandering around uh, town with a, a kid to care for and no prospect of work and the law yeah. after him to put him in jail just for the fact that he can't work. And the, um, yeah, the very idea of the law being like, well, you're a human being who's present in the world and you don't currently have work, so we're going to lock you up. Hmm. Like, it, I just, uh, yeah, breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. But yeah. obviously also completely normal. Apparently yeah. nobody thinks they're being a bastard here. They're just doing the right thing because somehow locking up people or having a difficult time is the responsible way of helping them to have less of a bad time. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. mental. So um, he he takes Will Fern up to the, the loft because that's where he's going to sleep. And on his way back down, he goes past the, the, the bedroom where... Um, where the little girl Lillian is saying some prayers, and she's saying a prayer for for um, for Trotty as well, for Toby, mm. and um, this sort of moves him to tears, and he goes and sits by the fire and has a bit of a cry, and then um, yeah. then reads the newspaper, um, and again, and it lifts his spirits immeasurably. No, <laughs> yeah. So I think he reads about some woman and a. A uh, child who've um, woman who's killed herself and, and, and killed a child as well, and he's again thinks about how you know maybe we're actually maybe we're no good, maybe that maybe the sort of the, the gentlemen are right and we're really no good. And yeah. as he's thinking, but sorry, go on. well, but he he seems to say that about all human beings, which is even in his despair a far more positive humanist way of thinking about things than mm. is what the, these. The, the the gentleman quote quote are saying which is that poor people are no good mm. right like I feel like Trotty's got the wherewithal to do what these incredibly wealthy people don't which is say maybe this applies to all of us mm. um, yeah and it's do you know actually the the saddest thing about that story that he reads is that this was current offence that was um, mm. that was taken from the news in the year that this was published mm. um, actually what what the story was was um, it was a woman who was um, uh, destitute with a child and was terrified she wasn't going to be able to provide for herself or the child. So she tried to drown herself with the child and the child died and she didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was just... And that's the sort of thing that people were driven to by the spectacular inequality and injustice of this sort of early Victorian social setting. There's a reason we use the word Dickensian to describe this sort of social situation mm. and it's just yeah like it's easy to mistake a lot of Charles Dickens writing for being a little bit overblown or a little bit over fictional but that was you know word for word from the um from the headlines just mm. just unbelievable yeah so so as, as Toby Be- Toby Beck is uh, sort of pondering this the he hears the chimes again the bells ringing and it's almost as if they're calling to him, saying, Toby Beck, come to us, Toby Beck. So, <laughs> how, how many bells have you heard that sound like that? Sound like a gremlin with a bad case of Qatar. What? 
So um, so he decides to go to the church. He he wanders over, tries the door. To his surprise, finds that the church is open and locked. Um, he, he goes up the steps to the top, to the steeple, uh, where the bells are, and he shouts, Hello! And then slunks down to the floor. To the floor. Be honest, at this point, you were like, here we go, ghost story, he's, he's in the creepy church, he's <laughs> yeah. climbing up, his voice is echoing, things are talking to him, here we go. Yeah, Next I'm ready stop, for it. horror. I'm ready for it. But we'll have to wait. We'll have to <gasps> leave, that, leave that little present and wrapped under the tree. Because... Ah. What? No, I'm just shocked. I'm oh, disappointed. But... <laughs> you've, t- you've taken the present away from... <laughs> I thought, the way you said that, I thought you were about to make some proclamation. What well, I proclaim that you have to carry on telling me what happens in the story because I'm literally on the edge of my seat. That's my proclamation, eh? There will be no end to Shark Live Royal sh- today. <laughs> the um, shark has spoken! No, so, so, so next, next week, um, we will be... Uh, we'll be looking into the third quarter and the fourth quarter, where, yes, it feels like things are about to start in terms of the supernatural stuff. And believe me, yes, it goes off the deep end. We're going to get... It's going to get trippy. He's Whatever was in that tripe, he's about to start tripping balls. He's, <laughs> he's telling me. Brilliant. Yeah. Tripe so, and mushrooms, um, I assume. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we'll find out what was lurking, what what sort of visions the magic tripe um, had for for Toby um, next next week. But uh, I hope you ha- in the meantime, I hope you have a really great Christmas. Um, if you want to, if you want to get involved in the review of the chimes, um, if you want to send one into us, sharkliverollpodcast at gmail.com is the the place to send it. Sharkliverollpodcast at gmail.com. and you can get us on Twitter at sharkliverall. Uh, but until then, Dave. Till then, Matt. Have a very merry, messy Christmas. I I will have a Christmas that is both of those things. Thank you. <laughs> 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 <laughs>